Good morning. My name is Jordan Greer, and I'm the pastoral intern here at Eastminster, and I'm so excited to be worshiping with you this morning, and I'm excited to bring this message from the Word. Um, As a church, we have been going through the book of Revelation for the last several months, and the main point of the book we have been discovering is to encourage followers of Jesus to maintain their faithful witness in the face of persecution. Up until this point in the book, followers of Jesus have been tortured, abused, and even killed for their faith. In chapters 11 through 13, the dragon, the land beast, and the sea beast have been tormenting God's people. The text even says in chapter 12, verses 10 through 11, that Satan had been accusing the brothers and sisters day and night before our God. And God's people are not only being accused, but we also read in chapter 6, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And again, in chapter 12, verse 17, the dragon is seeking to destroy God's people, and he threatens the followers of Jesus. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Followers of Jesus have been persecuted, are being persecuted, and will continue to be under persecution. And this is what sets the context for our passage today. God's people have been crying out to him because they are facing persecution. And just like in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 4, Abel's blood cries out from the ground to God, so too does the martyr's blood here cry out to God in Revelation. God has heard their cries for salvation and justice to be done. The cries that have spanned centuries, right, throughout time till today as we cry for justice to be done in our world, in our nation, and until the return of the Lord. And so our text picks up with this vision um, in this scene where one like the Son of Man finally responds at the end of the age to the cries of his people. Jesus is coming back for his people. Our text reads this morning from chapter 14, verses 14 through 16. Then I looked and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. 
So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Jesus is coming back for his people. And what's beautiful and powerful about this is that Jesus spoke about the harvest in the Gospels, remember? He referred to the kingdom of God and the people of God as wheat and grain. Particularly in Matthew 13, Jesus gives a parable about the kingdom of God being compared to a man who sowed seeds in a field and an enemy that came along and sowed weeds in that same field. And at the end of the age, the wheat and the weeds are separated, and the wheat is gathered into the barn, and the weeds are thrown into the fire. And our passage today is the fulfillment of that harvest. God's people are being gathered into his barn to be saved from this persecution and also to be saved from the wrath to come because God's judgment is coming. So in this chapter, the first harvest out of the two is a form of rescuing, saving, and sheltering. And God's judgment is coming on all of those who uh, refuse to worship him and instead worship the beast and the dragon. But God is coming to rescue his people and gather them into his barn, into his presence, into his temple in order to save them from the coming judgment and wrath. In July 1874 in Kansas, there were millions of grasshoppers that took over the state and over the plains. Uh, Some people referred to them as Rocky Mountain locusts, and there were millions of them. And there were so many that they actually blocked out the sun, the the sky was darkened, and there were so many of them that it sounded like a rainstorm on a tin roof. And they devoured everything in sight. They devoured crops. They ate sheep's wool off of the sheep's back. They, um, They ate people's clothing. They ate the wooden handles of the farm tools, and all of the crops were devoured. And so if you were a farmer and you knew that these grasshoppers were inching closer to your fields, you would do everything you can to go and bring in the harvest to salvage whatever you can. And in our world today, you know, it's, it's July, the wheat is finally dry, and you go to harvest, but there's a hailstorm coming. You harvest the wheat and salvage everything you can before the hailstorm gets there. And this is what God does with his people in the first harvest. Jesus rescues his people from the wrath to come. And in our passage, this king with a golden crown, this being like a son of man, sitting on a white cloud with glory and honor, is finally given the task to return to earth, to swing his sickle, and to harvest the earth. And what's clear is that this first harvest is so good because it's the harvest where we're taken into the master's shelter and it's hope and it's deliverance and it's the message that Jesus is coming back for his people. And so the martyr's blood has cried out and God's vengeance and judgment 
has now come to vindicate his people. And so wickedness no longer has rule over the earth, and God is coming to judge the beast worshipers. And so the second half of today's text focuses in on those who were not gathered in that first harvest. Revelation 14, verses 17 through 20 say, Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. So the clusters of grapes are a metaphor, and they represent the people who worshipped the beast. And if you're sitting in this room today and you don't consider yourself a beast worshiper, that would make sense. So who are these beast worshipers? Um, It's anybody who isn't worshiping the lamb. So if whether it's intentionally, unintentionally, if you are not in Jesus, you are considered a beast worshiper. And so these people are being gathered and thrown into the winepress of God's wrath. And so this section starts out the same as before. It's another harvest. There's another angel. There's another sickle. But the meaning is very different. There's no son of man. There's no golden crown. There's no cloud. The language is darker and scarier and even gory. And so if you are a person who gets queasy, do what you need to do for this next section. Um, but 1,600 stadia, that's, that's not a measurement that I normally use when I'm referring to, oh, I'm going to drive 1,600 stadia. Like, what is that, right? So it's 180 miles. So it's the distance from here to Kansas City. And it's as high as a horse's bridle. So that's like, what, four or five feet? I'll let you fill in that picture. But it is a lot of blood. And God is going to judge the beast worshipers. So this text points us to the truth taught in Scripture that where our choices and actions lead us. How we choose to live reveals who we worship. How we choose to live reveals who we worship. And so in this moment, it's getting at the idea that we reap what we sow. What we sow are the things that we choose to do, the way we choose to live, who we choose to worship, and reaping are the rewards or consequences for those choices. And we heard this last week in Revelation 14, verse 13, for their deeds will follow after them. Here's another example where we see this idea in Scripture where we reap what we sow. From Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. 
Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we don't give up. So we reap what we sow. And this isn't to be confused with the idea that somehow by doing good things we can earn salvation. No, we do good things because we have been saved. It's, it's a response and it's a worship to the Lord for the good things he's done. Isaiah 64, 6 says that all our righteousness are as filthy rags before the Lord. So even if we sow good deeds, we still deserve the wrath of God. And thanks be to God that our deeds have been exchanged with Jesus's ultimate deed on the cross. For those of us in Jesus, we've been covered in his righteousness and gathered in and protected from the wrath to come. And so in order to be caught up in the first harvest and not caught up in the second harvest, we must choose to receive the grace of Christ. But if we refuse this grace, there is a different outcome. Um, We value high grace and high truth here. um, And I want to preach only grace to you today. But today's text involves judgment. And the Lord has been so kind to us that even in his judgment, he gives us a warning. And that's a form of grace. I'm sad to say that there is coming a day when all those who aren't in Jesus will be held accountable for their deeds because God is going to judge the beast worshipers. And those who worship the beast will be washed in the beast's blood. And so now we're faced with a choice. We choose between Jesus' saving blood or the beast's irredeemable blood. We get to choose which harvest we want to be a part of. And all those who refuse to worship the lamb will be trampled on in the same way that they trampled on the saints. Remember the saints crying out for vengeance because they were trampled on? Justice is coming. And to be honest, this is super scary to hear and it's, it's uncomfortable to preach judgment and, and, and blood You know, nobody wants to be given that task, but this is God's word. But it can be scary to hear, especially if you're not a follower of Jesus. But with that being said, one can't help but notice the language similarities between the wrath of God on Jesus at the cross and the wrath of God on the beast worshipers. Jesus was taken outside of the city, was trodden outside of the city. Hebrews talks about that. Jesus drank the full measure of the wrath of God. 
And at the cross, Jesus' blood flowed into a great river. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And so those who refuse Jesus will themselves become a river, but a a very different river. It's, It's a river of torment and destruction. But those who choose Jesus will be redeemed, protected, and saved. So we have a choice between Jesus's blood or the beast's blood. And Jesus' call to action in Mark 4, verse 29 says, But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And I want to focus on that first half of the text. But when the crop permits, what does that mean? Well, in the farm world, it means when the crop is fully ripe. In the spiritual world, it means when the full number of believers have come to Jesus, Jesus is coming back for his people. And not one of them will be missing. And God has entrusted us with the seeds of this gospel. And we're participants in sowing these seeds. And we get to quicken the coming of the Lord Jesus. And so if you are in Jesus Spread the good news of the gospel. There are people in our church, in our EPC denomination, and in gospel outreach all across the world who are doing this good kingdom work now. One missions couple working in an unreached area distributed Old Testament materials um, in the national and even the local language uh, for the pastors who will then go back to their churches and then their regions and be able to preach this to people. Another pastor in a sensitive area is translating scripture himself into the local language. He had been a shaman from age 15 until his mid-20s, but realized that his desire to help people deal with major events in life wasn't happening in that role. And so his search led him to faith in Jesus and has now served 10 years as an itinerant minister. During COVID lockdown in another sensitive area, 200 new churches were planted. 200. There was one church with a group of 40 to 50 young adults, and they were committed to reaching out to their city and their friends, and this was a city filled with atheists, animists, and Buddhists. And this community has grown to over 200 plus young adults. And they recently had to wash and refill communion cups twice to serve everybody at the worship service. God has not stopped sending his people to reach unbelievers with the good news of Jesus. He is active, he's alive, and he is passionate about growing his kingdom. And if that is something God is doing in our world today, if that is something God, the creator of the universe, the one who's busy holding all things together, if he is passionate about this, then we ought to be passionate about it as well. And there are so many ways for you to be involved in spreading the good news of Jesus. 
and many of you already are involved in missions. And you have been pillars here at Eastminster, reminding us that mission is the very heartbeat of God. Thank you for that. In the years to come, would you continue to remind me and everyone else of the importance of this? And would you point the less experienced among us to ways that we can plug in to evangelism and missions? Because from personal experience, I know that it can be difficult to find where to start. And so if you are in a place where you don't know how to get involved, try to find one of these people. Because however we take part in God's kingdom work, we can't do it alone. You can give to missions financially. You can be involved here in Wichita. We go to the ends of the street and to the ends of the earth. You can be involved unofficially by having a spiritual conversation in local restaurants, grocery stores, banks. You can spread the good news of the gospel and hope and encouragement as you're sitting next to a grieving stranger at a funeral. As the next school year approaches, we need school supplies and lunch buddies for the Washington School. If you like cooking, we're looking for people who can cook once a month for our international students gathering. We can embody and proclaim the good news everywhere we go, whether we are five or 105. And most importantly, you can pray. Maybe you remind yourself daily with, with a flag where you will see it or by writing on the bathroom mirror. Or maybe you pick an action to pair your prayer with so that every time you do that action, it reminds you to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. Maybe it's every time you shampoo your hair or every time you open the garage. And if you'd like to commit to a specific person to pray for, you can find Pastor Ken or Wendy and they can get you connected to pray for specific people. But there is a place for you. And this is a part of your responsibility as citizens of God's kingdom because we have been entrusted with good news, not to keep it for ourselves, but to give it to others sharing with them the hope that is in Jesus, that there is freedom and salvation, protection and flourishing. And the quicker we send out these beautiful seeds of the gospel, the quicker the Lord will return. If you are in Jesus, spread the good news of the gospel. And maybe include the warning from Revelation 14, verse 7 the angel flying overhead with the gospel. Encourage them to fear God, to give him glory and to worship him. And let that be a reminder for you today as well. And for those of you who may be in the heat of the battle right now, who may be under persecution or suffering or illness or trouble, or you feel invisible and you feel forgotten, you may be asking a different question. Why is God taking so long? And here's why. He does not desire any of these little ones to perish. God is patient in his mercy 
And he wants to allow for the full measure of believers to come to him before the harvest so that not one of his will be left out. And so here's the encouragement for you. In the face of trouble, maintain your faithful witness. And we can persevere now through life's challenges knowing that Jesus is coming back for his people. And because he is coming back, we need to spread the good news of the gospel. Because the more we spread the good news, the more these seeds go out, the quicker the Lord comes back. This is like when you're getting the family ready to go to the beach or the lake for the weekend. The quicker you get the car packed and everybody's hopped into the car, the quicker you can get there to enjoy your weekend. When the full number of believers comes to Jesus, the Lord is coming back for his people. So we are to evangelize and make disciples to hasten the coming of the Lord. So if you are in Jesus, spread the good news of the gospel.